Hello, and welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series. I'm Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theatre Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today we have an extraordinary uh, guest joining us from across the pond, Lucy Atkinson, who was the first director of uh, 100 Words for Snow by Teddy Hennessy, which is the play that Burning Coal will be opening its 24th season with in October of this year. Uh, Lucy, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You, uh, you're in London now or where? Uh, are I'm actually in Brighton, which is on the south coast of England, about 60 miles south of London. A sort of a, re- a touristy area, a resort area? Um, kind of, yeah. It's uh, it's an hour from London on the tube, on the train. So mm. it's kind of a lot of people come here for the weekends. Um, sure. and it, you know, it's sort of the the closest beach to London. So it's, I mean, it's been around since the, uh, it's you know, it's written about in the Doomsday Book. It's not a new city, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's um, yeah, it became popular in Victorian times as a kind of Victorian beach town. I think the the Who set one of their uh, yeah Quadrophenia. Yeah, Quadrophenia. If you've seen Quadrophenia, you know everything about. I know everything I need to know. But, <laughs> um, well, good. Uh, uh, we we're Raleigh's about an hour and a half from the beach too. You know, we have uh, Emerald Island and the Outer Banks and all that stuff. It, um, the place where the first where the Wright brothers tested the the first airplane, you know, very cool uh, stuff like <laughs> that. Uh, um, so uh, so we know that model very well, <laughs> and I hope you're enjoying it. Um, uh, the the COVID uh, virus. You're really the first person that we've talked to um, about uh, on this podcast since this really began in earnest. And I'm just curious to know. First of all, are you okay? But secondly, um, how is it? What's going on in London? What's it like there? right now um well first off i'm very very well um i so i actually had a show on in london that closed on march 13th and all were closed on march 15th Mm. um and have remained closed since then so i was lucky enough to kind of close out my run of the show uh and then kind of got out of London and came down to Brighton where my parents live. Um, and rather than kind of paying London rent and not being able to work, I, I was kind of forced to move back in with my parents and have been down here in Brighton living with them ever since. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing. I think England is, seems to be dealing with it in a similar way to the States where it kind of, took it relatively seriously for a while and then people got bored and the government decided to let us do our own thing, um, which is kind of stressful. So I know theatres are allowed to reopen now, but there are no kind of financially with the social distancing, it's not really possible for a lot of places. So most theatres are planning on staying closed until March, I think. So uh, for a while, a while yeah. yet. Um, yeah, I certainly don't have any British theatre work lined up um, until next year. Uh, the next yeah. thing 
the next thing in Europe that I have lined up is potentially happening in April in Amsterdam, but nothing in nothing in England. We uh, we just worked with a young director who who's from this area, uh, but who uh, lived in New York, and she did exactly the same thing. She moved back down here with her parents when the thing happened, and she was able to work on a digital project that we uh, we had going on. Um, a, because she had nothing better to do, and uh, B, because she uh, wanted to work with us again. So that uh, that's take that's playing out all over the world, I imagine. I think you know, it is, yeah. Thank God for parents, right? Yeah. Especially the ones with extra bedrooms. Exactly, yeah. You know, there's a little bit going on in London. I, I noticed that, um, that the bridge is doing uh, live performances, um, uh, Rafe Fines and, and some other actors are, are doing one-person shows there. Yeah, I, I think something that's happening, I'm not sure how the um, the Rafe Fines at the bridge is working, but I know the, um, the old Vic has started doing productions where they uh, they did Lungs, which was a show of theirs from last year, and, and they just, yeah, yeah uh, which I love. Um, and then um, there's a new... Simon Stevens, I think that Andrew Scott is doing, and they're film they're being filmed live with the actor on stage in the old Vic Auditorium, and then being yeah. streamed. Uh, so you buy tickets and you watch it online. I think mm -hmm. there's more of that going on. And open air theater is is allowed to reopen, so a lot of the kind of summer stages have been able to mm -hmm. to come back. I know Regent's Park Opera, uh, Regent's Park Open Air Theater are doing um, Jesus Christ Jesus Superstar. Christ. Yeah, yeah, I saw that yeah. production about three years ago. It's a oh, cool. Nice box off. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I also saw the Evita that they did. I think. Oh, wow. I wish I'd seen that. It's quite good, but but they're apparently they brought the Jesus Christ Superstar back, but they're doing it on the Evita set. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm trying yeah. to merge these things <laughs> in my mind and not having a whole lot of luck doing that. But, uh, you know, whatever works. Um, yeah. It's, it's got to happen uh, somehow. <laughs> so, um, so you were, uh, you grew up in Brighton. Is that, is that correct? No. So I grew up just outside London. I grew up in a place called Kingston upon Thames, which is about, uh, 15 miles outside of central London. So about 20 minutes on the train. Um, and so I was, I was really lucky that most weekends I could go up to London and there's a, a TKTS, a half price ticket booth there. And so my mum and I, my mum's a, a painter, um, and so most weekends we get the train up to London and go straight to the half price ticket booth, get tickets for whatever was cheapest and then go to a gallery or go shopping and then in the evening go see a play and then come home. So I've been, I've been watching theatre since I was a little kid because it was affordable to, uh, to do that through the half price ticket booth, which is amazing. Uh, Kingston is, uh, has a, big theater there doesn't it the rose is that it right? does yeah it does so that was built while I was a teenager um and it's a beautiful beautiful space I really I really like the rose I'm hoping I don't know exactly what's going on with it in kind of COVID times I think they just got a new artistic director so I'm really hoping that they'll kind of have an exciting new idea yeah. for the theatre and it will be able to come back really strong. Um, that's great yeah I, I think that's terrific I know that the the government um, to jump back into the COVID issue for a moment uh, passed a, a bill that would provide quite a bit of funding um, for the arts in the country 
a um, couple of billion dollars, if I remember right, or one and a half or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of money. We haven't, they announced it a couple of months ago and they haven't yet said how any of it's being distributed. Um, but we're really excited that it's on its way. Um, you know, I think we're all just kind of waiting for details. It was such a huge relief to find out that they'd allocated some funds. And now we're all just trying to find out where those funds are actually going to go. Where they will actually be distributed. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things happening behind closed doors there. Yeah. As there is here as well. Um, but I, I thought that was a very nice, um, nice uh, thing. We, uh, we just here in the States just passed a $740 billion military funding bill. Um, so our, so the, uh, the army bases spread all over the world for no obvious reason. Right. We'll be well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's getting a little in the political. <laughs> so, uh, so growing up, uh, your mother was a painter. Uh, what did your father yes. do? Uh, he was a management consultant, is a management consultant. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so most of the time that we were living up or uh, when uh, they met in Hong Kong while my dad was working out there and my mum was traveling and then they basically, uh, until my dad retired in 2014, they sort of lived wherever his work was. So they lived in Hong Kong and in Indonesia and then in Yorkshire and then when I was born they moved to London uh, and lived there for 15 years and then they moved out to Bahrain in the Middle East um, big American military base out there just oh, to, yeah. Um, yeah. getting some funding um, they lived there for eight years and then when my dad retired they moved to Brighton um, so I've kind of lived around a fair amount um, but yeah, and they now, my mom's American. She's from, uh, from Palo Alto, California. So they now uh, kind of split their time between, between California and Brighton. Most my, of the time. my wife's uh, brother lives in Palo Alto right now. Oh, nice. Small world. Yeah. Well, yeah. as long as the fires don't. Uh, don't yeah. 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 So, um, so uh, a, a management consultant for a father and a, and a, a painter for a mother sounds like the perfect collusion to create a director to me uh, is that how you see it now yeah I think so I think um you know I have a I have probably much more of the artistic side of the brain than the kind of logistical side but I think the balance of the two is really helpful and that you know they're both very kind of interested in the arts in their own way um so yeah it was a, it was a pretty perfect environment to grow up in that's quite nice uh, that's yeah. lovely uh, and where did you go to school um, in England? Uh, yeah, pretty much exclusively in England. So uh, in Kingston for the first 15 years. And then uh, I spent a year living out in Bahrain with my parents um, and didn't really fit in over there because there wasn't a theatre there at the time in the whole country. Um, which was difficult. And also, you know, when you're a girl turning 16 who's grown up in London and suddenly you're kind of moved out to the Middle East and don't know anyone. Um, so I was lucky enough, my dad's company um, paid for all of their employees' children's educations. Uh, so I was able to, uh, to move back to the UK and go to boarding school for my last two years of, of high school. Mm. Um, and I directed my first play while I was there. It was an incredibly um, creative school called Frencham Heights that has a, a beautiful theater that touring companies go to. Uh, and I, I learned uh, photography and how to use a dark room and did drama and did art and mm. all kinds of great 
stuff while I was there. Um, and then I went to Sussex University, which is in Brighton, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons my parents moved down to Brighton once my dad retired is because they came, they came to visit me a yeah. lot while I was studying down here and really liked it. Um, yeah. And my dad went to Sussex Uni as well. So mm. The theatre yeah. uh, the program at that college is, is good as well, well regarded. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually didn't do drama at university. I did English literature and film because um, I kind of thought I wanted to be a film director. I got into directing because I thought I wanted to do film. And then once I started doing theatre, it's it's all I wanted to do. Um, what, but yeah. what, what was the start? I mean, how, how did that happen? Was it an accident or what happened? Um, I have a very nerdy origin story. <laughs> uh, so growing up in London um, in 1997, when I was uh, eight years old, um, the Globe Theatre opened um, and my parents basically got uh, a season, they got tickets for every show that season, just standing tickets, which are five pounds, you know, and it's, it's such an amazing theater and so affordable. And so we went to go see everything that first season and me as, a, as an eight year old being a groundling kind of, you know, getting a piggyback from, from my mum to watch these shows. And I really vividly remember watching Henry V with Mark Rylance playing Hal. Um, and there were two things in it. One of them was that uh, Pistol and the, the Rude Mechanicals, um, Pistol stole a baseball cap from one of the audience members and then just wore it for like a whole act, um, which blew my mind. Um, and then also the actor who played the boy also played uh, Princess Catherine. And I didn't realize that until the curtain call. And then I was like, one yeah. person played both of these roles this is insane and as an eight-year-old I was just like someone made that choice someone someone told them they were allowed to do that yeah. and you know the theater that I, I'd seen a lot of theater at that point but it was very fourth wall um and it was amazing that you know as an awakening of like oh that's just because that's what we decide is allowed you know and someone can change those rules and someone can tell the actors to you know to break the fourth wall or to play with the audience or to you know play more than one role um kind of blew my mind uh and I knew I wanted to be a uh, I wanted to be the person making those choices. Um, and then my mom is a big film geek and I always grew up watching movies and kind of realizing that being a director was a job and then watching so many of these films. Um, I, you know, I just kind of became immersed in that and thought I wanted to be a, a filmmaker. Um, and then no one, no one really lets children direct probably for good reason, but um, <laughs> uh, it was easy enough to kind of get a, get a camera and start making short films. So, you know, because you don't need to be in charge of a room of, of 20 people, you can just kind of take a camera and a friend and go shoot stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. So I started making little short films and, and music videos and things. And then while I was at boarding school, uh, was allowed to direct a play and realized that it was all of the stuff I really liked about directing, which was talking to actors and collaborating and kind of solving problems in a very collaborative way um, and much more playful. Uh, whereas film is very much like the director knows all of the answers and tells them to people and then people go do them. And it, it just felt quite, uh, quite distancing as a role. Uh, so I moved much more into, into theater and yeah. yeah. So I directed my first play when, when I was 18 and have basically been directing 
theatre since then. But that, uh, but that moment at, at the age of eight, 10 years before, it sounds like was a huge influence on what I, when I hear that story, I, you know, I think to myself, well, an eight-year-old um, would make those choices if an eight-year-old were directing, right? Uh, an eight-year-old <laughs> would say, uh, okay, now you play the girl, you know, or now you play the guy, or, or, or just intuitively sense that they could play with the audience, that there wasn't a division between the two. And, um, and, and I, so I think that that moment must, I mean, that's a really great story. Uh, and uh, one of the clearer examples, I think, that I've ever heard of how uh, this art form is, is unique and uniquely able to uh, affect uh, the imagination, um, uh, abstract thinking, you know, um, is something that we don't learn in any other realm, really. I mean, art, the arts are where you learn abstract thinking, if you learn it at all. And uh, so, uh, so that's an extraordinary story. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's beautiful. Um, so, um, so then uh, you get out of uh, college. Uh, we call it college. You call it uni. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, um, uh, you know, except for your um, uh, dalliance in the film world, you've decided by now that you want to uh, work in the theater. What do you do? I mean, I guess, is it moving to London? Is that the, the first step? Yeah, so I moved to London pretty immediately after graduating university. Um, within about kind of three weeks of graduating, I, I'd moved up to London. Um, and then... I start again pretty quickly after that. So I, you know, I graduated in uh, July, moved up to um, up to London in August, and in October I started doing um, a director's traineeship with a company called Stone Crabs uh, that's based in in South London, uh, and they do a four month long uh, traineeship that's two days a week or an, an evening a Tuesday evening and then all day Sunday. And the Tuesday evening is kind of all of the um, business side of being a director. So like how to produce, how to create a budget, yeah. what, what marketing kind of things you need to know. And then Sundays were kind of practical directing workshops. Uh, and that went on for four months. And at the end of it, there was a showcase where there were nine of us on the course and each of us picked a play that had kind of up to three actors in it um, and was full length, up to yeah. full length play or, or one yeah of... yeah up to an hour so most of them were kind of uh, shows that had been at the Edinburgh Festival or had been at other fringe festivals around an hour long yeah. um, and then we each put it on for uh, three nights uh, as part of a kind of festival of plays um, at the Albany in Deptford. And I chose a play that I'd seen at the Edinburgh Festival um, about four or five years before. Oh, no, sorry, I saw it at NSDF. But um, uh, yeah, I'd seen it a couple of years before and it blew my mind. It's a play called Radio by Al Smith. Um, it's a really incredible play. Um, it's a one man show about uh, a man called Charlie Fairbanks, uh, who was born um, in Lebanon, Kansas, which is the geographic center of the contiguous United States. Uh, mm -hmm. And he was born at uh, midday on June 21st, 1950, which is the exact midpoint of the 20th century. And it's about kind of him growing up uh, and coming of age with the coming of age of America. So, you know, when he turns 13, there's Kennedy's assassination. And then as he's a teenager, there's kind of the space race, but there's also the start of the Vietnam War. And yeah. it's just, it's a truly beautiful play. It holds a huge place in my heart. Um, 
And so I directed that uh, and myself and, and the actor that was performing it were both really proud of it. And after we'd done it for three days at the showcase, we weren't kind of done with it. So we applied for a, um, a Brighton Theatre Festival. So uh, Brighton has a kind of smaller version of the Edinburgh Festival that runs for the whole of May. Um, and I'd done shows at Brighton Festival while I was at university. So I kind of knew how it worked. Um, so we applied to take radio to, to Brighton Fringe uh, and it got accepted. Uh, so, and the, the first thing that they ask you on the application is what, what's your theatre company name? And I was like, oh, I guess I have a theatre company now. <laughs> I kind of accidentally formed a theatre company uh, called Fight and Hope. Um, and then for the next, so with radio and then the year after, brought down another show called Albert's Boy by James Graham. Uh, it was his first or second play and he's now, you know, insanely successful. Yeah. Um, so I did that. So ran that company for two years kind of by myself and then was finding... I could produce my own work, but I, I was applying for lots of directing jobs and assisting jobs and wasn't getting them. Um, whereas people who, you know, by that point I was 22 or 23. So I'd already been directing for like five years at this point And I wasn't being hired for anything. Whereas people who had just come out of drama school and had never directed anything kind of professionally before were getting hired for those jobs because they had the stamp of approval of a, of a drama school. Um, so I very arrogantly and stubbornly was like, fine, if this is the hoop I have to jump through, then I'll apply to your drama school. Um, yeah. And I, I only applied to Lambda, uh, which is the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. Um, and I got in for their director's course um, and it changed my life. It was wonderful. What do you think? Uh, what, why did you get in? Uh, do you think? Uh, that, oh, that's a really work? good question. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely don't know the answer. Um, it's like, it's a fairly rigorous uh, kind of interview process. So uh, you apply and you have to kind of uh, write some essays or, you know, mm -hmm. answer some essay questions about, uh, who you are and the work that you've done, but then also kind of how you think about theatre work. And then you have an interview um, with, uh, it's normally a, a director and an actor uh, mm. who have been to the school or who work at the school. Um, and then if you get through that round, then you have a, a directing interview, which is you're in a room with two actors for an hour. Uh, and when you go in, you're given a choice of two different scenes. So uh, I think I was given either a scene from Twelfth Night between uh, Orsino and Viola or a scene from something more contemporary, I can't remember. Uh, and then you have an hour to rehearse it. Uh, and there's an invigilating director in the room. Um, and a friend of mine who had done a similar course, not the, not the Lambda course, but who had trained uh, as a director was like, the best thing you can do is just like put your chair so that your back is to the invigilating director and then just run a rehearsal, you know, like don't try and play to the person that's watching you just, just run a rehearsal. Um, and the actors were wonderful and we just had a really good time in the rehearsal room and then there was about an hour long interview afterwards where uh the the interviewers had kind of been given feedback from the invigilating director uh yeah and i 
I genuinely don't know why they picked me over anyone else. I'm very glad that they did. And it's a very small, it's, the course has changed slightly now, but when I did it, it was a very small course. There were only three people on it. So it was me and two other wow. people. Um, and it's, it's really intensive. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. I wonder if being a little bit older, uh, you know, not having just come straight out of uh, high school or college might have had something to do with that. Uh, yeah. Whatever it is, that's fantastic. And then that opens doors because now you've got that on your resume, but you've also made connections in the industry, I imagine, that are Completely. solid. Yeah. So how does, uh, how does 100 Words for Snow come across your uh, desk? Good question. Um, so kind of through, sort of through Lambda. So Tati, uh, who wrote it, um, did the directing course at Lambda the year before me. Um, so I actually met her for the first time the day that I had my second interview for Lambda because uh, she was one of the people kind of sitting outside the room with you, making sure you were okay and you knew where the bathrooms were and stuff. Uh, so we met then and, and got on. And then when I got into the school, she was, uh, she and the other directors from the year above were there on the open day to again, kind of welcome us and show us the ropes. And we just kind of became friends. Uh, and then when I graduated, uh, she came to my showcase and, you know, we were both creating work in sort of the year after we graduated um, and just decided that we wanted to work together on some stuff. So uh, I think the summer after I graduated, we um, basically got some actor friends together at Tatty's flat for a week. And she was like, I kind of have this idea for this thing. And she's moved away from directing into writing at that point. And she wanted to write this thing that's based on quite a, a personal experience for her. And so she didn't want to be the director for it. So she asked me to come on board with these actors and just kind of be in her living room for a week and try and build a, a play. Um, and we didn't really come up, we basically came up with Girl Interrupted and then realized that like, that's already a film. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then she was like, okay, well this has given me some ideas, so I'm gonna go away and, and write it. Um, and then a year went past and the next summer came around and I kind of messaged her and said, we'd thought about maybe doing this again and seeing where you'd got to. And she was like, yeah, 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 yeah totally. I'll send you what I've written. Uh, and then kind of sort of fudged around for a little while. And then a couple of weeks later was like, so I know I owe you this play, but I've written this other one and it's much better. And that was a hundred words for snow. Um, mm. And she was right. It's much better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she sent me the, the very first draft of it and I was kind of on board to, to direct it kind of before it existed. And then that was, I guess, um, summer 2017. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we did a reading of it um, at a theatre called The Old Red Lion um, because I had a, an existing relationship with them and she'd submitted it to them. Uh, so we did a, a stage... It's like a pub yeah. Yeah, it's a really wonderful, wonderful theatre. And the artistic director that I had uh, a relatively close connection of who would program some of my work before was leaving. Um, and he had all of these scripts that had been submitted to him that he was like, if I were staying for another year, this would be my season. Um, and so allowed, a, a, you know, a bunch of us to kind of have a 
have the theatre for two nights and do a do a staged reading of something and develop it and get some audience feedback. Mm. So we did it for that and then um, took it to Vault Festival, which is an incredible theatre festival in, in London that runs from January to March um, and did it there and then uh, then toured it and then took it to the West End. Um, so all in all, it was, you know, it was a relatively long journey it was kind of a two and a half year journey from first draft to to being on in the west end but every uh, from the pub theater to to the uh to the west end is uh, yeah is a big jump are there funders at that point Uh, people are getting on board to help fund the thing um so we had uh we did a big kickstarter campaign and you know we had a couple of kind of uh friends and family donors and then other other people who had seen it at an earlier stage and were kind of uh excited to help us get through to the to the next step but it wasn't uh you know we didn't have kind of uh banks or partners funding Mm. us in that in that way Um, you were at trafalgar studios is that correct Uh, yeah, I think I read recently that they're getting rid of the smaller space there. They are, which is heartbreaking because yeah. it's, you know, it is kind of, it has been for a long time, the place where where small companies or independent uh, companies or uh, freelance artists could get a show with a, with a West End credit. They're, London has an absolute vacuum of mid-scale theatres it has a lot of kind of uh pub theatres or like 150 seat spaces or it has like 600 seat spaces it doesn't really have anywhere in between and Trafalgar Studios too was somewhere that had that kind of mid-scale prestige um so it's really sad that it's going I I, I second that I I hope somebody picks up the slack there somewhere and that's a that's a big loss um and uh, and so the play was quite successful. You got uh, some uh, some very good reviews for it. Does that, uh, as a director, does that change your life? I, I would imagine it changes the, the playwright's life. Does it does it affect the work that you're getting offered after that? Um, yes and no. I think there's a there's a certain level of prestige that comes with having had a show that's been quite successful. And, you know, I think, as you say, like Tati's life has really, really changed because of it. Um, she's, you know, she's working with uh, uh, Channel 4, which is one of the kind of big four TV channels in the UK. Uh you know she's on their writers program and she's she's doing amazing stuff she's getting commissions and stuff and uh Gemma who was our our Rory our kind of lead actress uh when we did it she won um best actress at the Off West End Awards which is incredible um I think for me um because I'm a new writing director I this is this is a theory it may not be true but it's what I have felt um because I'm a new writing director and a lot of the time I work as a director dramaturg so I'm working with plays and playwrights from first draft through to kind of final performance um a lot of my work becomes kind of necessarily invisible. If you're directing a Shakespeare or you're directing a Chekhov or you're directing something where people already know the story and know most of the words, what they're paying attention to is the direction. You better come up with something new if you're doing Hamlet again, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Whereas if you're directing a piece of new writing, 
people are following the story and they're noticing how great the, the writing is and they're noticing how good the actors are, but they don't, the direction kind of by necessity becomes sort of invisible yeah. because my job as I see it and what I take joy and pride in is facilitating a writer's vision on stage. You know, yeah. it's not about me. Um, but I think that does mean that compared to other directors kind of my own age and with my same experience level, but who are working on classic texts, I'm not getting the phone calls that they're getting because my work isn't seen in the same. Sure. Sure. Way. It's like a lighting designer. Um, if you notice their work too much, they're, they're exactly. not doing their job properly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're running over the time I said a little bit, so I'll, I'll try to wrap That's this okay. up. But, um, so, uh, so just very briefly, Lucy, what, what is it about the play that, that drew you to it? And, um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a very specific story in a way. It's, uh, but there's a universal quality to it as well, I think. What, what is it about the play that, that made you want to do it? And, uh, uh, you know, and, and why do you think it's starting to really get a life, uh, I think, for itself? Uh, around the world right now? That's a really good question. Um, a number of things. I think, first off, Tati Hennessy is a genius. Um, like, that kind of goes without saying. Like, she just has such a such a way with language. Um, and I think something something that she is excellent at is she hasn't lost any of the memories of what it's like to be a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. um, and it, like reading this play, it feels so truthful and so many of those thoughts and so many of those experiences and things that are just little throwaway lines that just kind of stab you right in the heart. Cause you're like, Oh, I, I remember thinking exactly that, but I didn't remember it until I read it, yeah. you know, um, I think is just remarkable. And uh, you know, Tati is, an incredible feminist and an incredible, um, like she has a real mission in life that doesn't come across as a crusade, but she just, she centralizes young women in her stories in a way that feels heroic. And, you know, that, you know, Rory is allowed to have this whole quest narrative and there's a repeated theme in the play about the Arctic being kind of the domain of old beardy men. And when you think of the Arctic, you do think of, you know, people like Shackleton and Franklin and Peary and Scott, um, all of whom are these kind of great, you know, Victorian early 20th century, tall, handsome bearded men. Mm. And you don't think of a 15 year old girl being in that setting, but there's mm. no reason why, why, you know, young women and what they care about and, and what drives them shouldn't be seen in this same heroic framing. And I think that deeply inspired me. And then I, like, I've just been a Shackleton nerd since I was tiny. Like, oh, really? Ernest, yeah, Ernest Shackleton's just the coolest person ever. <laughs> um, so I've always been kind of drawn to the Arctic because of that. And then because of, you know, his dot materials and the Philip Pullman books and the, the way that the North is described in those, I think since I was very young, I've just had this kind of fascination with, with the North um, as a, mm. an incredible, mysterious, terrifying and beautiful place. Uh, an undiscovered country uh, still left, really. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, if you um, want to destroy it. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think that's part of it as well. Like it is, it does feel like an ephemeral place. You know, it's a place that may not be around by the time my children are my age, you know. Um, and I think that's, you know, there's this whole beautiful kind of thread about climate change that that's in the play without being kind of shoved down your throat. But she is talking about how the land is changing and what's happening to the polar bears and what's happening to the ice caps and everything in a way that's fully woven into the story. Yeah. And yet this, this change and this flux is, is right there in the text in a really incredible way. I think you come out of the story wanting to, to, to be there, you know, wanting to feel those things. And, and if for no other reason, it creates a sense of empathy for, for the let to the place, the landscape. Yeah. And, um, well, uh, last question, uh, um, I promise. So, uh, <laughs> I can keep chatting all day. It's okay. all good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, um, so you're still quite a very young uh, artist working, um, and um, we've, we've had this cataclysmic event that isn't over yet by any stretch, but, um, but it is uh, going to be over at some point, and, uh, and things will restart what do you what do you want um, for the future um, as as a human being? Uh, I, I mean, as an artist, I hope those things intersect a little bit. But as a human being, what do you what do you want to see? Uh, as oh when, my goodness! When the restart happens, <laughs> that's a very big question. Um, I think. I think what I want is more fairness. You know, I think something I was having this conversation yesterday with some dramaturgs um and I think something that this time has has been useful for you know it's been an incredibly difficult year but it's also given people and society at large a chance to kind of see a lot of the inequalities that have always been there but we've been able to look over because we've all been busy or we've all had something else to do you know and whether that is kind of institutional racism or whether that is kind of the dominance of of the patriarchy and sexism within a lot of our systems that we take for granted I feel like this year has kind of brought those into light in a different way. So I'm, I'm hoping that when we reopen and, you know, my realm is theatre, I'm really hoping when theatre reopens that the plays that aren't programmed, that are programmed are not the same David Hare, David Mamet, you know, like the, the kind of old straight white men of letters because the world has hopefully moved on from that or you know there there are space for more narratives um you know and just letting letting the theater be as kind of open and curious and inquisitive a place as it as it should be um and i think that goes for the for the whole world you know like the more curious you are the more open you are to learning about other people's experiences whether that's through the media you consume or the people you talk to or the places you go it can only make the world a better place so i'm yeah i'm just hoping i'm hoping for more curiosity and more openness in the years to come i think from your mouth to god's ears and- <laughs> Lucy, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Lucy Atkinson, uh, director and uh, 
the original director of uh, 100 Words for Snow. Uh, we appreciate your time and uh, we hope we can see you down the road. Uh, same yeah, time. I will. I definitely will. I'd love to come to Burning Coal at some point and see what you're up to. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, take care and uh, we, will, uh, we will see you down the road.